This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey everyone, we are back. Yes, it has been a moment. We're living in June 2022 and it's time for some Dune Talk. This is the official news a show of DuneNewsNet.com where we cover everything happening in the universe of Dune. The movies, books, comics, games, and that upcoming Ben & Jesuit TV show. Today, we're gonna to break down the key updates from May, including that big uh, Dune Part 2 casting announcement that came out one day after our last show, uh, comic book news, and we have some more exciting TV rumors to discuss. This is Marcus, and I'm here today with all of the Dune Talk regulars. Hey, it's Garen, it's good to be back. I know I've had plenty of time to let some of these casting decisions uh, sink in and, and let me mull over them. So I'm just glad to be back with the rest of the guys. Yes, it was a nice little uh, vacation, literally and figuratively, I guess for me, but uh, I'm excited to talk. I mean, there has been a lot of exciting buzz and some news to uh, dive into, so let's get to it. It was our little spring break away from Dune Talk, and like I always say, as soon as I edit the show or something gets announced, I think I literally had uploaded the podcast so Marcus can look at it, and then the announcement came. Okay, let's begin with some movie news. Dune Movie News. So when we last spoke, uh, there was one major role still to be cast in Dune Part 2. That's, of course, the Padishah Emperor, Shaddam Krino IV, ruler of the known universe. For those following our ongoing coverage, you'll know it's indeed a well-known name. Uh, Christopher Walken is reportedly joining the star-studded cast of the movie. He has a really impressive filmography, uh, goes back over four decades or uh, more, and uh, he's received the Oscar award for best actor in a supporting role for The Deer Hunter, that was in 1978. And he also was nominated for that same category in Catch Me If You Can in uh, 20, uh, 2002. Uh, the news has been out for, for some time, but we haven't talked about it here yet as mentioned. So I wanna hear what uh, all of you are thinking. Um, Garrett, you go first. I'll be honest, you guys, when I first heard this, I was, I was a little bit shocked. I, I know that some of you weren't. I was though, because this is an actor who has been a part of you know, my film experience my whole entire life, but the, the different aspects of his talent and skill are so broad that I just thought, wait a minute, is this, is this the right kind of, not, not only his look, but the emotion he can bring, the, the ambiance and the awe he can bring. And I, but you know, honestly, after thinking about it for as long as I have, I absolutely am thrilled about this. I, I really think, and again, I'm trying to imagine what role do I know from, from his filmography of the past that would match or come even close to something like, uh, you know, Shaddam. But it's going to be really interesting to see how he approaches this. But someone with this amount of gravitas, I think it was the right choice. And, and I think it will create a feeling of, of you know, oppression and overbearance that's just inherent in the way he will be able to look, the, the feelings that he will give off, the, the way he'll act, and, and we'll, we'll yet to see what that's like. But I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So I want to know what you guys think. This was definitely, I'll say right off the bat, this was not anything I ever expected uh, or predicted. That's for, for certain. I don't think any of us really envisioned Christopher Walken. And when I saw the news come out, I was like, well, there it is, because we had just done gotten the episode up and I was like, well, and then uh, I was thinking, 
wow, like Christopher Walken, really. And it's strange because as Garen's pointed out, uh, you know, he's been around and he, for so long and has had such an impressive career. And I always think, the first thing I think of probably when I think of Christopher Walken is Pulp Fiction, when he shows up for the gold watch scene, <laughs> he completely steals the show with like two minutes of screen time. Uh, he just has such a wide variety and such a wide range when it comes to his performances. And it's interesting because I was looking at his filmography afterward. I noticed he really hasn't been in anything like too big or like too like serious or like weighty in a really long time. Uh, you know, he is a very impressive dramatic actor, but I think nowadays, especially like millennials and like Gen Gen Z, like they think more of him in like more comedic or goofier roles or, or uh, shows or movies. And uh, I was thinking about this too, because I had just finished watching Severance uh, pre prior to the news coming out. And he is excellent in that show. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets, you know, some sort of nominations coming off that show because he has a really great supporting role. It, it has some, it has like not goofiness to it, but there is, he does get some laughs and it is the kind of like a darker humor. And so, and there's emotion to it as well. Like there's genuine emotion. So I thought it was really nice to see him doing something in that way again after so long. And then of course, now he's going to be, in Dune, and he's going to be directed by Denis Villeneuve, who I think is one of the best actors, directors working today, especially in Hollywood. They've done such a good job, like thinking outside the box for a lot of these roles, both in part one and in part two. I, I never, there's so many where I just never would have picked that person. They were like not the first one to come to mind or not even one of the first few people to come to mind. And I think the same, same could be said with Christopher Walken. I mean, we talked about different ideas or who, who we might like to see or who we could envision in the role. And Christopher Walken, they have gone the older route with the emperor. That was, that was the first thing I think I noticed was that, oh, okay, so he's going to be older. And I think that's fine. I know we all said that, well, if it's going to be book accurate, it's, he's going to have to look like more like his forties or fifties, maybe. Um, I think Christopher Walken's in his seventies now. And, uh, but he still has like a youthfulness to him, like under that, like he does not come off as like an old, like hobbling around like guy. And maybe they'll play him that way, but I think they can definitely use some of his energy and fervor uh, to good effect in this. And I, uh, and so I was like, okay, I can, I can see that working. And I think it just makes sense also from like a book versus like movie perspective. Like they really haven't touched on like the age qualities of like how the spice can affect people. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily something you have to translate over directly because in the book, when you're writing it, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, well, this guy is actually this age, but he looks like this. And that's just what you write in the book. Whereas with the movie, you kind of have to like explain, okay, he's actually like this old, but he's acting like this because he's older, but he looks younger. Um, so I think it works. And I, uh, I'm i just really, really stoked to see what they do. And I'm, now I'm thinking about like what costumes they might put him in or like what the sets are going to look like with him in them and just how he's going to control a scene or a room when he's going to be involved with some other also great actors, but actors that we have not seen him like work with before. So uh, I'm just really pleased and, and it's just made me so much more excited, especially now that we've kind of rounded out the major roles uh, in addition to Austin Butler and, and Florence Pugh. I just am really excited with all three of these choices and they're all kind of like on the up and up and relevant right now. It's just, it's, the, hype is, the hype is fully rolling now and you know they're gonna be filming next month as we were talking about earlier. So um, I can't wait to, to see more. So I'm going to agree with everyone. My first reaction was like, Christopher Walken? <laughs> okay. 
took me a second to think about it. First reaction was like more cowbells, like because like you said, there's a whole generation that knows him from Saturday Night Live, Balls of Fury. By the way, there's a great mashup of the '84 movie and Balls of Fury when he plays an emperor. But you got to think also he's played kind of dark characters before. Like if you ever seen the Deer Hunter, that movie's amazing, and that's a very I don't want to say not train Christopher Walken, but a very young Christopher Walken. So if you look at his roles again, as he gets older and older, like Pulp Fiction, I think Pulp Fiction is my first memory of him and being like, I like this guy. He talks funny, but I like him. Um, but he's also in Batman Returns, the Tim Burton one, you know, and the age was one thing right away. My fiance was like, do you think he'll make it in the desert? How hot it is? I was like, whoa, not cool. And then I looked the guy's like in his 70s. Now, like Johnny said, also what costumes, what's the makeup gonna look like? You know, only time will tell. I, I had really the picture in, in my mind that they were gonna go with, you know, that, that, that look in the, in the 40s and 50s. So someone who was older, but they've been taking the spice and they looked young. And uh, so they, they had the energy, but they were st starting to show like cracks psychologically. So like at, at first I was like, okay. And then, but then when I saw, saw like some of his, uh, his recent pictures, I said, no, like this is, this is perfect. You know, like you can really see that this, this guy can be the, the, the emperor, you know, it just has, you know, looking at some of his past roles and like his, his appearance now, it does lend a lot of uh, gravitas. So I think, uh, yeah, that, that they definitely did, um, did the right choice. And yeah, again, we, we, ha we hadn't brought up his name, name at all. And, uh, and there, <laughs> there it was. Uh. It, and it's interesting too, just thinking about it now, like, of course, when you think of Christopher Walken, everyone thinks about his voice, or like just the way he talks. And I think that's that's a really interesting way to, uh, you know, approach the emperor is like Christopher Walken, just the way he talks. Like, I feel he, he, and based on how he's directed and everything, the writing, of course, like, I feel like we're really going to be hanging on like every word and like every sentence that comes out of his mouth. I think that's like really vital. Like, that's an interesting you know, a way to approach it. And it's going to be a, you know, a very different emperor to something like, which is a good distinction, I think, from something like, you know, Star Wars, for example, where the emperor is like this old, like slimy, and he talks like he's like a, a witch or something like that. Christopher Walken, it's going to be, I, I like, I'm just trying to imagine like picturing him like talking and like in these scenes from the book. And I'm just so excited to see what him and Villeneuve do. And I think Villeneuve is really, again, he hasn't been in something like this in a long time. Um, you know, this is probably going to be like a best picture nominated, potentially best picture winning film. And I think just having him such a well-respected veteran in this major role, I think that's just such a, you know, a great tool and, and a great uh, compliment to everyone else that's already involved. So yeah, everyone is just, I mean, you guys have all kind of said, it's just really exciting. I, I've also been thinking about, you know, how would you, how is Denis going to direct uh, the role of the emperor with, with Christopher Walken and have that either align more uh, with, with the way he directed the Baron or, or contrasting that with the way he directed the Baron? Because the 84 version, we have this wild, crazy Baron, right? And, and, and Denis didn't do that. Denis went with the sort of the, the more physical uh, ominousness of this person with very few lines, but by his physical action, it created incredible suspense and fear, right? So, so I'll be really curious to see how he decides to, to direct this role of the emperor because the emperor is even more ominous, um, has more at stake, and, and there just can't be any, you know, there, there can't be any elements of, 
of humor. I mean, I guess there could be. I don't know how you <laughs> do that. Dune is not, uh, he's not directing this with a lot of humor of any kind. So how to make that emperor character really over overbearing and just striking fear into everyone. But yet, you know, he's got his daughter, he's got his his court, he's got, you know, a lot of people around him. So it could go a number of different ways in how uh, Villeneuve decides to direct this role. You know, I keep hearing him and I can't do a Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> I've, I've tried for the past month in my head. I keep hearing him go, Paul Atreides, do you love my daughter? Do you want to marry her? And I just picture Shalami going, no, just going to use her. Just going to use the title. And like Johnny was saying, it is probably going to be Oscar nominated. You know, part one did so well, should have been nominated for 11. But we've talked about that in the past. And who knows? Christopher Walken might actually be nominated for the Emperor for supporting role. Speaking of Fade. <laughs> Bald. That's another thing. Like, what are they going to do? Because if we look, all the Harkonnens look very much the same, that pale skin, bald head. Who knows? Maybe Faye will have the hair and, you know, the Baron doesn't want to shave his head because <laughs> he is the pride of the Harkonnens. But I'm excited. Once again, casting news that I had no idea who they were, and now I'm intrigued. It boggles my mind. Thinking Christopher Walken, Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> you know, Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I just saw the trailer for Elvis and mm -hmm. I was just blown away by Austin <laughs> Butler's performance just in those scenes from the from the trailer. You know, I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, this guy has so much energy and and I can't wait. I can't wait to see him around his, his character. I mean, I was like, wow, who is this guy? You know? <laughs> so you need that with a fade Ralpha. You need you need a lot of charisma and a lot mm. of power coming through that performance and that, that's actually a great uh, great segue so i was just going to bring that up um so i mean austin butler has been right in this uh in this shining in the spotlight with uh with the premiere of uh of elvis at the Cannes film festival and he's been in a large number of interviews uh we haven't heard that much about uh doom yet but um yeah in the new york times interview it was specifically mentioned that he has started intensive knife fighting training for his role in dune part two uh, so Simon, I remember you weren't really familiar with uh, with Austin Butler when we were first discussing this uh, this casting. What do you make of of that comment, and how are you thinking about him and his fit for the role? So I'm going to be honest. Once again, I I still don't know him that much. But when I went to go see Bob's Burgers, yes, I saw that in the theaters. Um, there was a trailer for Elvis, and even when I saw Doctor Strange, and I was like, well, crap, I kind of want to see this. And then I was like, oh, he's going to be Faye Rafa. But he sold me as Elvis in that two, three minute trailer, you know, and now I'm like still a pretty boy. And I love that he's doing ex like knife training because that is going to be so crucial for Faye's character. You know, it's not just the end battle scene with Paul. Faye is a knife, I don't know, a knife expert. Is there a word as someone that's like trained in knives? But I'm excited. I'm excited also. Are we going to have the hair? Is he going to? Yeah, it's uh, you know, chiming in on both of your reactions to seeing him like an Elvis trailer, for example. And I was following the can, you know, premiere and Elvis getting pretty, pretty decent reactions so far. And, and the one universal thing that everyone agrees on is that Austin Butler is amazing and like makes it worthwhile to watch at least. So that's really promising. And they're, you know, they're already talking about him, like potentially being a best actor nominee and things like that. So 
hopefully, uh, you know, he'll be carrying that momentum and he's going to be filming, right. You know, basically a month after or a couple months or weeks after, uh, all this comes out, which comes out later this month in June. So, and that's a Warner brothers film and Warner brothers is involved in Dune, of course. So there was definitely, I'm sure there was, there was already internal, like, you know, rumors and, and discussions that he was really great in Elvis and that people were excited about, you know, his potential. So you can see, I think it makes, it makes more sense now than it did a few months ago of him being cast. I think if people, if the casting news came out tomorrow, people would be like, oh my God, Austin Butler, he's going to be fade. Like that would be like really exciting um, compared to how it was originally. So I am very uh, pleased to hear. It was nice because that was really the first official word we had heard from like a direct source, an interview with Austin Butler. Uh, and just the tidbit alone of, yes, he's doing intensive knife training. I think it'd be really cool and it would just give you a perfect introduction and kind of insight to who Fade is. But um, yeah, and I also noticed just another thing is, you know, he's not an especially small guy. Like he's bigger than Chalamet, like height-wise. But I also noticed with the can uh, photos that I saw, like he's actually like, kind of bulked up even more since I like last saw him and was keeping up with him. So I feel like he's going to be like a physically strong contrast to Paul Chalamet, who's much, you know, uh, more slim. So I think he's going to bring it physically and, and personality wise, the charisma that we were mentioning that he, we already seen in his Elvis performance. I think it's going to be um, just a really interesting mix. And even in, again, I, I think we talked about it already. We, I saw him in <clears throat> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino movie from a few years ago. And he plays like at the end of that movie, like he's playing like a, a deranged, like crazed killer. So I think uh, he has the look in his eyes and he can do, especially if they have that hair uh, going in his, in his eyes as well, that could certainly help. So I'm really excited. Again, we haven't, uh, this is kind of back to back with the walk-in news, really exciting stuff and haven't really heard too much or seen anything else on the Florence Pew front, but I'm sure we'll get more in the coming uh, weeks and months there as well. And that makes me uh, think back to comments from uh, for, from already some, some months ago where, where Denis Villeneuve was in an interview and he was saying that Fade is going to have a very important role in, in Dune Part 2 and you know like in, in light of what we know now that that, that totally makes sense and um, yeah and, and like if you're trying to completely avoid spoilers about Dune Part 2 maybe skip ahead for for, for a minute or so but uh, really exciting because we all know Fade has uh, yeah he likes his, his knives and his bladed weapons so that'll be cool and I I hope, you know, I'm just thinking about like the gladiator scene. I don't know if we're going to get it, but. Around the time when, when Dune Part, Part 1 was uh, was coming out before that, that there was a discussion that potentially one of the early scenes in the movie would be uh, Fade, who is going to be uh, fighting Lieutenant Lanville, because Lieutenant Lanville, you know, we, we see him uh, a named character in the Atreides army, and we don't see what happens to him after the attack. Uh, but then we know that the plan, uh, it could have changed, is that Fade is going to fight him in the arena. And that would likely happen very early in, in Dune Part 2. We don't know if it's going to be the opening scene or one of the, like, uh, but it's likely going to be an, an introduction to, uh, to Fade in the movie. I think it would make a huge shocking impact if that's how you're introduced, Fade, or Part 2, and being like, hey, this is still the same universe, but it's going to get more messed up, and it's going to get more violent before you know it. You know, there's a real opportunity too with the Fade character, and it'll be interesting to see how how Denis decides to do this and how the script plays this out. But you've got you've got a real opportunity to take Fade as a character who not only is the antithesis to to Paul, uh, but you've also got him as a threat to the Baron, and and that's pretty clear in the book, and and that did not happen in in the movie in the '84 movie at all. So. 
to be able to establish Fade as not only this threat to our, our hero as we know it in, in, in Paul, but also the sort of political intrigue and the tension between the Baron and, and Fade, which I really hope, I really hope that's in the script because I, I liked that part of the story. It, it created a lot of different potential outcomes as I'm experiencing the story for the first time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Johnny, as well. That gladiator scene, I think, would be an incredible opportunity to just establish, wow, this Fade character is ruthless. I mean, he's bad to the bone. You know, you want, you want to have that image of Fade in your mind. He can't just be this, you know, sort of, you know, milk toast kind of a threat. He's got to be, he's got to be the real deal to have that end really have the, the climax and the, the weight that it needs. I've always thought the Sting Fade Ralph I was so comical, even as a kid, like, even before I read the book, I was like, this guy's not like scary or impressive. He's just over the top. And like that line, like, I will kill him, you know, is so bad. And I've never fought a Fae as a badass until I read the book. And then I was like, whoa, hold on. This character is something completely different than what we see on screen. And I think Denis will give us the Fae, you know, from the book. And I think showing the gladiator scene is so crucial because it also show a threat instantly. If that's how we open the film, it will be right away like, ooh, who is this guy? And why is he so important? You know, just real quick, just something that like crossed my mind. It's not an exact parallel, but I think it could be interesting to think that Villeneuve has kind of worked with an almost similar relationship and there has been some like similarities between them. But uh, in, in Blade Runner 2049, there's a couple elements to who the antagonist is, right? So we have uh, Neander Wallace, who is the big bad up in his fortress. And he's really kind of the, uh, you know, philosophically like the opposition and kind of, you know, has this corrupt, uh, you know, way to him and his, his company. And then we have the one who's actually on the ground going out and doing things and killing people and getting their hands dirty is um, love in that film uh, played by Sylvia Hooks. And I think that you can only see something similar with Baron and Fade because Baron, of course, he doesn't really physically kill anyone ever. He doesn't necessarily get his hands dirty, um, but he is the figurehead and he does have this other person who he talks to and he kind of talks down to in some ways and sees him as like, he wants them to be elevated, but not too much to like, you know, in, encroach on their own position. So, uh, you know, I think that's going to be interesting to see. We've seen Villeneuve do that well before, I think, or at least I thought that it was well done in that movie. So I'm hoping we get, you know, even in that movie, you don't have a lot of lines between them, but you understand the relationship and you know kind of what's going on internally. So I think that'll be really interesting to see that maybe carried over to some degree in this. And yeah, I think as Garen said, you definitely need to establish not just Fade, but the relationship between Fade and Baron, because that is important to understand both the Baron more and Fade more and just the Harkonnens in general. So um, yeah, there's a lot. It's part two is just going to be crazy. Like, yeah, <laughs> I know people, especially if you're not a book reader, like you're probably like not totally sure what to expect, but there's just so much that they can tackle. And I trust that they've made certainly changes and, and cut things from the book. And um, I'm excited to see what is different. And we actually have, uh, I think, a comment that I'm leading into. Javier Bardem was talking about the screenplay recently. And I think Marcus is about to mention that. So, yeah. yeah so uh, Javier Bardem, he was, uh, he was in an interview recently and he was actually quite 
open about his thoughts on, on a Dune Part 2 script, he said that like he was emotionally uh, moved by it. So it's it's good to see that the, the actors, they've they've seen this and they're happy with, with the direction that, that this is going to. And of course, uh, Javier Bardem himself is going to play a, a major role as, as Stilgar in, in Part 2 as well. We're going to see a lot more of the Fremen culture, uh, his leadership, uh, Cheney. So it's going to be uh, yeah a lot to look, look forward uh, to, like both the Harkonnens, the, the, the Fremen, the House Crino. It's uh, yeah, just, just so much to look forward to. And I, I really liked his comment as well, of course, that he was being so open about it and so ex clearly excited. But I like what he was saying about, it, you know, there's going to be like the spectacle to it. There's also going to be like the emotion. And he was saying how maybe what, you know, if you've read the book, of course, you're not going to be surprised by what happens because you know what happens. But he said just the way it's it's done, how it happens. And I'm just thinking about like the writing, the script, like structurally how things could be put together and like the editing joe walker like you know coming back after winning his oscar for part one i'm just really excited because there is a lot there's a lot of action in the movie and there's a lot of balancing different plot lines different characters there as well especially after part one so yeah that is really uh promising and of course you know it's not like he's gonna say anything negative about it but i'm just really glad that you know he felt you know speaking about it in that way and um man it's it's gonna be uh and that's the thing i've even said this i think i was saying this even before part one came out or as part one was coming out but i was just saying you know on twitter like as much as people are hyping up part one or as much as people are enjoying part one or impressed with it i feel like part two is gonna be just that much better like i do think there is a lot of potential because as villeneuve said it was difficult to kind of get, get part one where you have to introduce all these different elements and now he can just like really have fun and like cut loose and be more involved in the imagery and the cinema of it and i'm just uh, i think that is going to be villeneuve cut loose even more compared to what we got in part one and we all really liked part one i think that that bodes well for for everyone you know one thought that i had uh, about after reading the uh, the can uh, comments by javier bardem i'm glad to know that an actor of his caliber and, and his taking his role so seriously in part one is pleased with the script that he said he was moved by it. It has the has the spectacle, but it also has the emotion. That makes me feel good because, as a as a longtime fan of the book, you could really create so much complexity that it would collapse under its own weight if you're not careful. And obviously, we all trust in Denis. We we know he's uh, a master of this craft. But there, the way he handled part two, which was to simplified in a way that we don't even know a lot of names of characters. We as the book readers, we know all those names, but people that hadn't run the book, they didn't know, you know, all the people in, in that we saw or knew their names or their backgrounds. But he, Denis did that on purpose. He wanted to make sure people weren't having to write down a list of names as they're watching this introduction to this universe. You know, they needed to be in the story, in the characters, in the emotion. So the way this is handled, I hope that the balance between the spectacle and the intricate, you know, plots within plots within plots, as we know from the book, is handled in a way that we 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 end that film with just this huge, you know, exhilaration instead of this, you know, I, I don't know what I just saw. This was too much to handle. You know, I, I hope that that balance is done right uh, because there's so much going on in this story. And there's so much that you would want to put on screen because it's so creative and unique. You know, it's 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 so far beyond what we know in in typical um, sci-fi in in today's in today's story writing. So, 
I just think there's a lot of potential for it to be incredible. I also think there's some risk with this. I agree with you, Garen. I mean, we all come to Dune for different reasons. Like, sure, I love seeing people ride a giant sandworm. Who doesn't, right? But I also love the quiet, intimate moments when it is the characters talking about their lives. It is about the political game and the strategy, the plots and plots, you know, all that. So I think Denis did that perfectly in Blade Runner 2049 because you could have made it this big sci-fi showing the city, showing the world. But when you look at Blade Runner 2049, I'm sure Johnny hopefully will agree with me, it's a very quiet movie, a very personal movie with the Ryan Gosling and obviously Harrison Ford character, but it's really about Kay and his journey. You know, and I think we're gonna get the over-the-top action scenes that will drive some people to the theater just for that. And hopefully they'll stay and be like, oh, I like the message of this movie, this world. And for me, it's really getting to Paul's head and Chani and you know Jessica and everyone else and seeing what they're going through and how their world is changing, especially, you know. Paul and Jessica are going to enter a world that we just saw for maybe two, three minutes, if that, at the end. And I'm glad that we're going on that journey with them. You know, what is it going to be like from being these bourgeois people on Caladan to being stripped to nothing and restarting their life? So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting what direction they really go with it. I'd like your guys' opinions on, can you do that part two in two hours and 10 minutes? 22 hours and 10 minutes? Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> I think with the amazing Joe Walker, you can do it. That's true. That's a great point. If anyone can do it, Joe can. Yeah, I mean, people complain about the Batman being long, but I thought it was the perfect time. And you know, maybe it will be a three-hour movie. Maybe it would be a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Now, let's not forget, credits nowadays are all about 10, 15 minutes just by themselves. It's good. That's one of the biggest things that I think about when it comes to part two, and especially for Messiah. How can you fit all that in, like, two hours, you know, 210, something like that? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thought because it, there is a lot to fit in. I mean, that section of the book is shorter. I mean, it's, it's one of the short, shortest parts of the book, the third part. But on, on the other hand, there's still so much introductions left, you know, because we still have to explore the, those other factions that, that I was talking about. We're going to be introduced to, to the Fremen culture for the first time. So yeah, for, from my perspective, it's going to be a challenge to fit all of that into like two hours, two and a half hours. I believe they're up to it. <laughs> now we don't have any casting announcements about someone by the name of Count Fenring, so maybe that character is not there. Given what part one was like, and what we can like expect already from part two, of, of what we know needs to happen, I'm like not totally. And I said this months ago. I said I'm not completely convinced that those characters are going to be around <laughs> in, in part two, which I know is going to like make people mad most likely. Um, and that's just how adaptations go. Some characters get completely cut. Some subplots get completely cut, as we saw in part one. So that's just the nature of the beast. I don't necessarily have like that much attachment to those characters. I know they're fun and kind of cool, but I think if you're thinking of things like right off the bat, what can we get rid of? I feel like that was probably like one of the very first things they thought of. And I could be totally wrong. Maybe they will be in there. Maybe when they go into production, usually they put out the press release that has like some of the newer cast members or even on the part one uh, press release when they started filming, uh, Sharon Duncan Brewster was not 
listed on there. We didn't know until like over a year later when they did the Vanity Fair reveal that she was in the movie and, and was playing kind. So um, it's it, we could maybe not know for a year or more if Fenring's actually in the movie, the Fenring's are in the movie. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of moving parts. And I'm sure probably even um, we're going to see more maybe minor Fremen characters that we still need to know, like who's going to be cast in that, or it could be smaller actors. Uh, or actors we're just not as familiar with. Uh, like I wasn't very familiar with Sharon Duncan Brewster. So I like that there's still, even with these three big castings that we're all excited about, there's a lot of still unknowns or other things that we can look forward to that we probably don't know about yet. With pre-production ramping up in, in Budapest and uh, filming next month, I did see Shane, and I'm probably going to mispronounce his last name, Shane View, we'll say that. Um, he's a, listed as a set decorator on the film in addition to, uh, he's the only set decorator listed right now. Um, and then that's in addition, of course, to uh, Patrice Vermet, who is the production designer who won the Oscar on the first movie. Susanna Sipos, uh, she was the set director on part one, and she also won an Oscar for her work on that, deservedly. And haven't seen her list on there yet. I'm not sure if it's maybe just be delayed. I heard that I think she's going to be working on it from like an interview she did around the time of like the Oscars. So I would expect she'll still be involved, um, even if you is in fact involved, which she may not be, but he is listed there and a lot of times they do add their own credits as they like get work so um that would be very exciting if he is involved though because he has worked on uh the last few Guillermo del Toro films who is one of the most you know more acclaimed visual uh directors and filmmakers and uh certainly like Crimson Peak and and The Shape of Water and Nightmare Alley those are all beautiful movies and especially the sets are very ornate and have are very well uh decorated and filled and everything so uh, and he even won the Oscar for The Shape of Water over Blade Runner 2049, which I'm still a little mad about. But that's okay. Um, he has he has his trophy now. So uh, if he's involved, I think that's a very great uh, addition, of course. And it would make perfect sense if you know his schedule is open. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are probably itching to get involved with this this movie, especially after it won six Oscars. So um, very very cool if uh, if he is going to be uh, working on the film. Last topic on the on the movie side. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, the Open Casting Agency, and they're based in uh, Budapest, Hungary, they posted on their social media that they're looking for bald people for an American sci-fi super production. <laughs> I'm bald. Uh, the, and the shooting period is listed uh, to be between July and, uh, and October 2022. So it's totally possible that they're referring to doing a new part two here. So uh, yeah, Simon, is this something for you? Do you want to head over to Hungary this summer? <laughs> no, uh, Best Buy, I need some time off. <laughs> Um, I know my boss is a big uh, Dune fan, so Keith, um, is it cool? <laughs> Honestly, I think it's interesting. It winds up right around that time that production would be there, and it's going back to the whole Harkonnen, and, and I'm sure we'll see. You know, we're talking about how we're going to be introduced to the Fremen culture, but let's not forget, we weren't really even introduced to the Harkonnen culture, and I feel like that's going to be another layer in part two where we're going to see fate and, you know, Raban create their army and create, you know, them taking over Arrakis while Paul and, you know, the Fremens are in hiding at that point. So I think it's interesting that they're looking for people of especially bald. I mean, anyone can shave their head, but I think it's, it lines up kind of too perfect. If you, if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, so who wants to be a Harkonnen? <laughs> and now it's time to talk about expanded news. So this is a segment, remember, that we cover everything else happening in the universe of Dune. The Duneverse. Books. 
comics, games, collectibles, and more. And we do have some more TV rumors. Uh, Industry Insider, Film Industry Insider, had disclosed to Secrets of Dune uh, that the crew of Dune, uh, the Sisterhood, is going to be assembling in September this year. And the TV show is allegedly going to be filmed at Troy Studios in Limerick, Ireland. It was also mentioned that this is going to be a almost entirely studio-based uh, production. Uh, John, you have you had a chance to look through this news, and what do you make of it? You know, we anticipated with the recent news of uh, the director being attached to do the first couple episodes, and Legendary finally speaking on the the show after not speaking on it for like close to a year now, I would say. Um, and that was that was promising, and I figured I said around that time that while this news is already coming out, they're probably going to be working on casting. They're probably going to be getting pre-production ready, and that would that would lead me to believe they're going to be filming before the end of the year at least. And September, fall, you know, October ish maybe makes sense. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting that they might be filming in Budapest at the studios there, where they're doing the films as well, which does make sense. I mean, they, they do make shows there. Um, Moon Knight, I know, for example, was one that was made there, and that was another streaming show. Um, but this studio in Ireland is also very popular as well uh, for Game of Thrones in particular, as, as was mentioned. So that makes sense. They have the resources, they have the, the size and the scale that you, you know, if you're thinking about Game of Thrones, what, what you saw in that show, um, I would expect the, the same with the Sisterhood series. So I think it all lines up. It all makes sense as far as the timeline, as far as the location. And it did seem, I know a lot of people, well, at least my, my first thought when I heard Ireland, I was like, are they going to be trying to like do some Caladan scenes or like maybe another planet maybe? Uh, but then when, you, when I realized it was for the actual studio space and that they are probably going to be doing almost entirely interiors for this, uh, you know, that, that kind of also checks out. And uh, I'm just excited to hear more, see more. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to casting. Curious to see if we get mostly unknowns or if we get a mix of bigger actors or if we get you know some bigger actors in the show if it's going to be kind of a, you know more of a game of thrones kind of started out people knew who sean bean was and people knew you know a couple of other actors but for the most part it was people that we had never really seen or heard before um but i i think with dune blowing up as a franchise and with hbo and hbo max really going at it with these other services it would make sense if maybe they go for at least one or two maybe more well-known actors i think that'd be exciting but I'm all open to it and I'm excited to see not even just in front of the camera, but who else they get to direct the episodes. They're off to a great start in that department. And then also who is involved creatively, um, you know, cinematography, design, things like that. And I would imagine over the summer, probably gonna get some more of that. I honestly think we're, we might get a couple big names to get, you know, the common person to sit down and watch the show. But very much like you were saying about Sean Bean, um, was probably like I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. I've seen the first season, but I'm sure there was the Sean Bean fans and people that were into that era, being like, "Hey, I'm going to watch it because so and said character, so and so actor is there," and I think it's going to be a lot of unknown. This show is a mystery to me. As much as I love Dune, I think it's a big mystery, and I don't even know if we'll see Caladan or any planet except Arrakis that we're familiar with because it takes place such a long time ago. And the characters that are gonna be cast, if they are sticking with it, it was centuries ago, you know, we're not gonna get a Jessica, we're not gonna get, you know, so-and-so. So it's a mystery. I like that they're doing it somewhere where they have room to create the sets. And what people sometimes often think of, oh, well, they're just shooting out on a set. It's not gonna be that epic. 
watch the making of any of your favorite movies and you'll see what you can really do with set designs. Like I, I recently watched the Batman making of, and it's amazing like what they could pull off in those sets. And also I am drawing a blank. Johnny probably remembers the, that new thing that Disney is using. And they use also on Batman, the, the volume technology, the volume, yeah. the volume technology makes the green screen and blue screen look like <laughs> crap. There's no other word for it. It's so amazing. And if they have the right art direction and I believe they will, it's going to be it's going to be a show that's going to change you know tv very much like dune part one and i feel like dune part two will definitely change how we look at films you know uh real quick commenting on that that is a great point and actually one that i meant to raise earlier when we were talking about what to expect like visually i think it it would be interesting if they introduced that technology those led like screens and the volume itself where they can really um it does it yeah it makes screen screen and, and blue screen almost obsolete uh and i think it wouldn't surprise me greg fraser has really pioneered that technology uh which makes it's just one of the reasons why i love him and i think he's brilliant um it, he used it it was really first used on mandalorian uh you know the earlier season and and then they've used it subsequently on other disney productions and he used it on the batman he brought it to the batman that was the first uh, dc film or warner brothers film that used it and I'm curious to see if they do use it on Dune Part 2 now that he has even more experience and he has used it in a feature film before. I could see that working maybe for like even the gladiator scene potentially if they were going to do that um, and in plenty of other scenes as well. So uh, I'm sure Patrice Vermette will have his uh, his take on that and I'm sure he's going to want to build as many sets as possible. But um, I think that would be really cool and I could definitely see the show utilizing, especially if it's going to be mostly interiors and things like that point about uh game of thrones because that was shot in like several scenic locations across ireland as, as well so i could see it, even if it is a mainly studio based they could you know take advantage of like the beautiful scenery of, of ireland i mean that like it's a small country but there's just so much amazing scenes from from the north to south uh if you drive through there it's it's, it's incredible uh some of the places you can see yeah that. yeah that, and that's another point too is this is part of the news of where they're going to be doing the show seemingly um, but it's not maybe the whole picture. Like they may be doing, they may be going out and doing location photography, maybe not even just in Ireland. I know Game of Thrones did, you know, different deserts. They did Croatia, they did Iceland. Maybe part of this, maybe they will go to Jordan or, uh, you know, the UAE or, or uh, other places, maybe not even necessarily desert locations, but wouldn't surprise me if that is like a component of it. Um, if not in this season, maybe in later seasons. And one, one other uh, interesting production that was filmed there recently is the, the Apple TV Plus uh, adaptation of uh, Foundation. So that, that was filmed in, in, uh, in Troy Studios. And uh, they actually employed 500 people, um, pr production workers, during, during the filming of that. So it, it, they can handle pretty large scale. Yeah, that Foundation series, um, unfortunately for me, it was more visually astounding than, than the storyline, because I'm such a fan of those books. But it had a broad range of environments and and outdoor scenes, a lot of indoor stuff. It was beautifully it was beautifully shot. So yeah, that's there's a lot they can do at that studio. The thought that comes to me, you guys, is if you're if you're creating a a TV series like this that has a tie-in to a movie that was extremely successful, we anticipate part two being extremely successful, if not more how much do you connect with obviously it's the same universe we all know that but 
Do, does it feel the same? Does it feel like a watered down version of, how, of what we experienced in part one? Is it connected enough that we know we're in that universe and these, these Bene Gesserit people feel like what we experienced with, uh, with the Reverend Mother and the others and even Jessica herself, you know? I'll be curious to see how they, how well the, the connective tissue, how strong it is between the movie and the TV series, because sometimes I can't think of an example, maybe, maybe some of you can, but sometimes we hijack, uh, you know, a, a franchise or a, a movie or a storyline, and then we try to reenact that, but it's on a much lesser scale and it just doesn't deliver. So this has got to be really well written, really well acted. It's got to feel somewhat on par with the quality of part one, because that's the thing that I think people are coming away from in watching Dune part one is like, that was just a work of art. You know, what, what emotions I felt, what visually I experienced, it was just a, an incredibly well-crafted experience. I just, I want to make sure they don't dumb it down on this on this series but they don't have the kind of kind of budget like you do on a movie like you said johnny i think that's very much the disney plus marvel slash star wars stuff i mean obviously you're going to go see the marvel movie you're going to expect the big epic adventures same with you know the star wars stuff and there's been good disney plus and there's been bad disney plus like for me i think moon knight is probably one of the best marvel mcu stuff that's been put out ever Great. But I'm also someone that likes the Eternals. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> um, but I think it depends on your creative team and what, how your producer will get you the funds, pretty much how well the team will work together. You know, going off topic a little bit, there's an amazing show on Paramount Plus right now called The Offer about the making of The Godfather. And if you look how hard they fought to make that movie, it's amazing that it was ever made. So I think it's also, it depends about the creative team, the people that are working behind the scenes. And you might have some producers on any show. I'm not just saying this, you know, Dune show, even some Marvel stuff, Star Wars stuff. That's like, cool, we got the contract, we're going to do it. And then it comes to the bottom of like, I really want this show to be something special. Mm. You know, I want this show to not just be like, oh, it was a streaming show. And I yeah. hate the word streaming show because I feel like most TV nowadays is streaming TV. You know, like I heard Stranger Than season four is amazing, but I, I haven't watched it yet. But if you look <laughs> at those budgets, they, they are big action pieces and create that world. So I think it really comes down to who's working behind the scenes. And I'm not just talking about directors or editors, but it is the art direction. It is the producer. It is how hard they really want to fight for that project. With Legendary, I feel like they've been a really great steward so far, as far as, you know, we've seen one film and we're going to get the second film, but they won six Oscars in addition to four other nominations. They get, made good money, uh, more than like you probably would have expected during the pandemic. And then you also have the fact that the, uh, you know, they have that already in motion on, on the film front. I'm just thinking from their perspective, Legendary must be thinking, well, this is going so well, we need to make sure, and they see what's going on at Disney Plus, they see what's going on at these other streamers and how the dips in quality can affect how people perceive it. I think they're just like, that's why they just want to do one show to start, 
really focus on that and then build out from there maybe. Um, but I, I trust them so far, they haven't like done really anything wrong creatively. So um, fingers crossed, but yeah, shows are a whole different beast. These are rumors. So like the filming in Ireland, this is uh, like, as, as mentioned, it hasn't been verified officially announced, but we did have the official announcement just uh, um, yeah, also, also in, in May about uh, Johan Renk, who's, who's directing the first two episodes. And that did include a synopsis. So the official press release included a short synopsis that basically reads, uh, Dune the Sisterhood is set 10,000 years before the ascension of Paul Atreides. The TV show follows the Harkonnen sisters as they combat forces that threaten the future of humankind and establish the fabled sect known as the Bene Gesserit. And then if you remember, before that we had had um, uh, rumors, which was on the giant freaking robot, that they had uh, reported the, potentially that the title of the show is going to be a Sisterhood of Dune Mind Killer. Again, that hasn't been confirmed. But the way that they describe the synopsis, that also matches up with this, this official one. Um, so based on all the information we, we have so far, this is basically connecting to the, to the novel, um, which was published in 2012 from uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, uh, Sisterhood of, of Dune, which tells the origin tale of the Bene Gesserit. So like how that, uh, that faction was, was formed after the Butlerian Jihad. Uh, we, we don't know if it's gonna be an adaptation or if it's you know, gonna be like, um, based on that story but like uh very different but it sounds like that 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 is going to be related to that uh that source uh, material so that should give us some idea of, of what to uh what to expect yeah and we also do know at least one planet that we're going to see which is uh wallach nine uh which is the, the benefits or it's a uh, home world one of the things that, that i was thinking again this is just all based on like uh the combination of the official and rumors like we might not even see arrakis in in season one Right, because we we might see the formation of the Bene Gesserit things going on in, in other part of the universe. So I think that, yeah, I mean, it, it is a universe of a of a million worlds. There's so much for them to explore. I I could see that you know maybe they'll save Arrakis for the for the second season. I, I just think uh, just exploring the Bene Gesserit, the different different worlds, the the aftermath of the Batlarian the Jihad, thinking that these are you know the the dark ages, like after um, the humankind has gone gone taking a huge step back in terms of uh, technology. There's just so much to explore in here. Cool, let's move on to our last topic for today. And that's, uh, we have a um, big comic announcement. Uh, so again, this hasn't been officially announced, but official enough. So Brian Herbert himself uh, went into Twitter and he basically confirmed that they signed on with, uh, with Boom Studios uh, to continue the comic book adaptation of the, of the, the House uh, trilogy. So basically, uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, they have written the, the prequel to, to Dune, which is set uh, 30 years before. And last year, we, we saw the adaptation released of Dune House of Trades, which basically is uh, begins 35 years before. We, we get to see uh, Duke Leto, uh, like uh, when he was, he was young and coming into power. Uh, so that's going to be continuing with um, House Harkonnen and um, House Carino. So we can look forward to, I guess, a lot more comics uh, in the coming years. Uh, so Simon, are, are you excited that they're going to be continuing with that adaptation? I am, and also it's kind of like a no-brainer when you think about it. If as long as they make this trilogy of the houses, if they don't adapt other stuff in comic form, it's fine. But I think it was a no-brainer thinking about it that they were going to start with one and then do the two other ones. Uh, I love the creative team that is on the current book that just wrapped up and all three volumes are available on Amazon and everywhere right now. And they are beautiful hardcovers. Um, I just want to know when they start 
you know, coming out. I know they haven't been in previews yet, so your local comic store hasn't ordered them yet. But um, like I said, more Dune's always good. And I love that maybe some comic fans will get into Dune because of comics. You know, it's that cross-platform that we've always wanted, and it's finally here. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know why um, fans of, of comics wouldn't be drawn to a universe like Dune, because some of the, the, the franchises that we know so well even originated out of some of the ideas of Dune. So um, I, like, I like the way you're thinking, Simon, that if this is going to grow and, and continue to grow as a franchise, it's going to have multiple channels of entry into this universe. And um, you know, one question I had is, it seems to me, though, that you, because right now, Brian Herbert is, is sort of, you know, the master of, of Herbert uh, Enterprises or whatever the company is called. Is, is everything only going through him? And that's canon or not even canon. That's approved? Or, or are they going to allow other authors, writers? I know Kevin J. Anderson's right there with Brian Herbert. I get that. But it feels to me like it's still pretty held pretty tightly to the chest in, ter in terms of this franchise currently. And just piggybacking off that for one, one like idea is, you know, as we've been talking about Marvel and the MCU and yeah, Disney knows how to like <laughs> really, you know, expand. Uh, I think that, yeah, I know people have their own feelings about Brian Herbert and, and whatnot. And I'm not totally familiar with all of that. And I haven't read any of his work, but I think it is good, at least at this point, and he's an older guy, but I'm sure he'll be around for, you know, a, a lot of years to come to have him have some level of control. And I know they put out rights to different things, but to at least have some sort of oversight or, or creative input, just because it, it does keep it from being so commercialized or like so corporate corporatized when you still have like a living family member that is very much in tune with everything that's going on. And he's always, posting that there's a lot of exciting things happening there's this and there's this but it's never like it's coming from him it's not like it's this big corporate press release where they're talking about or they're having like a big conference where they're showing off dune 15 and dune uh spinoff number seven and all these other things i think if over a 10-year span let's say like 2021 to 2031 you know we get three movies and maybe two shows or something like that is a sustainable healthy i think like level of attention and quality control and i think that that I, to me that that feels like a hopeful ideal right there uh, as far as you know that's concerned but we'll see what happens um you know money talks and there's a, it's going to grow maybe exponentially I and mean, who knows but i think right for right now i think we're in a good position from everything that i have seen and heard over the last few years you know going back to the whole disney star wars then it used to be just George. It used to be just Lucasfilm. It was, Lucas had to approve everything. You know, he had to put a stamp on it and mean like, yes, this is the design I want. And when he sold that franchise, it became Disney. And the way I look at it is pretty much, it's John Favreau and Dave Filoni that run the show right there. And obviously they're going, they can't clone themselves. So they get other people to work on projects very much like the Kevin Feige uh, Disney stuff and Garen going back to what you were saying how comic fans and just fans in general 
should be so familiar with Dune kind of being, I hate using the grandfather of sci-fi, but like perfect example, uh, earlier I was watching Kenobi with my fiance and she's like, why is it every time I see something now in Star Wars, it makes me think of Dune. <laughs> you know, in episode three of Kenobi, there is a little bit of music that sounds very much like Hans Zimmer's music. So I'm like, Dune still influences a lot. And when your eyes are open, you see it. So I think in the long run, a lot of people will go back and be like, whoa, Dune was there from the beginning. Like, look, I'm wearing a Kenobi shirt. I love Star Wars. Like I've said this a million times, but George and everyone else is influenced a big portion of everything they've done because of Dune. You know, Tatooine would not exist if Arrakis wasn't there. Agree overall with that, that sentiment. It, it totally makes sense not to, there, there is a huge universe to explore with, with Dune. Like let, let's, let's be real, they, they could tell a story that's, you know, has nothing to do with Arrakis and nothing to do with the, the trades, but you know, you get to explore cultures of these, these different societies and the, and the empire. There's uh, over 10,000 years of different time periods. So th there is a lot to explore, but I, I totally think it makes makes sense for them to focus more on the, the quality at, at this stage and really like keep keep things um, uh, focused, stay, stay true to the to the original uh, uh, source material. It's just a great time to be a Dune fan. I mean, we're getting possibly three movies, a TV show, a bunch of comics, some to toys, some McFarlane, you know, stuff. I'm just excited that now I'm not that awkward kid. Like I was in high school, like, hey man, do you know about Dune? Like people know, like at work, I sell so many 4Ks and Blu-rays of it. And I'm not the one that's being like, hey, you should buy that. Like people come up and I'm like, have you seen it? No, but my friend told me it was really good or yeah, I really liked it. I'm thinking of going and reading the book. So seeing that interaction that people are excited about Dune, because let's be honest, a year ago, it was a small portion of the world. It was the Dune fans. And now because of this movie and, you know, in Denis, I completely trust and Legendary and Warner Brothers and everyone, they've expanded that door. They made it so, it's going to be part of pop culture. By the end of the theatrical run of part two, especially with everyone that's now cast and how well the first one did. And remember, it did amazingly for a time when people weren't really going to the theater. I think Dune Part Two is gonna be a big hit. And mm -hmm. I think it's gonna become, I don't know, as big as Star Wars, but it has the possibility, you know. Interestingly enough, going on a different subject, in the 84 movie when it came out, my parents had a store in France that was kind of like like kind of uh, five below, like one of those stores where you like big lots. And how I got introduced to the toys, and I've talked about this. Dune toys were my gateway drugs was their wholesaler was like, hey, this has the possibility of being a big hit. So you should buy toys like the Star Wars toys that were going to be, you know, that made millions of dollars. But sadly, then and Simon <laughs> ended up with a bunch of Dune figures <laughs> as a kid. But that's how I got introduced to it. So it's always been there. And even if you look at the promotional material for the 84 movie, they're saying it's a big world like Star Wars. And now we have the internet. We have social media where people tweet about it. They post about it. You know, we do a podcast about it. I feel like this is the right time. And it might have taken 60 years for Frank Herbert to really, his world being introduced, but it's, it's the right time. It's a great time to be a Dune fan. And we, we've mentioned, heard from a few people how 
for example, gaming was the, was the way that they got into Doom, like with the with games uh, over 20 years ago. And now we have a new game, like we'll have some coverage of that coming up. Uh, but let's go ahead and wrap up for uh, for today. This is Johnny Sobchak again. Uh, great, great episode once again, talking about all this exciting news in the Dune universe with these gentlemen. And I, uh, I'm sure, like I said, we're, we're really in a sweet spot here where things are really going to be kicking off, filming next month for part two. Uh, maybe more news about the show as, as uh, production leads up to that in the fall. So for a lot of the big high profile things, I'm sure we'll have more to, uh, to discuss and look forward to. And you can find me, of course, all my thoughts on that and more at uh, Johnny Sobchak on Twitter. Um, yeah, this is Garen. You can find me on Twitter at Dune Companion. Um, yeah, I, I just, I was really uh, bolstered by my experience of, of going seeing Top Gun and it was like people waiting outside to get in, theaters are packed and I just can't wait till we all go to see Dune Part 2. And, and I think it'll be that kind of an experience and, and I just, this is an exciting time. I'm just trying to figure out how to get on the set in Budapest. That's, that's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta shave that head. Um, yeah, I haven't seen Top Gun part two, but I want to, I'm probably gonna do that. And I can't wait that I can say, hey, I saw Dune part two at the movie theaters uh, next year. This is uh, Simon Dowdy. You can find me on Twitter and Insta as Dowdy. Um, thank you so much for spending this time with us and talking about Dune. Like, I also am asking legendary slash Warner Brothers, please give us a couple of days after this podcast is published and don't give us any big news. Yeah, and uh, we were mentioning that at the at the top of the show. So it's been a quieter period also for, for our show, but we are working uh, behind the scenes to uh, to bring this, this show out more, more often, especially in the summer when there's going to be a lot more... Uh, more news to talk about. So um, yeah, this is uh, Marcus Gabriel. Um, really excited to, to be covering Dune in a, in a time like this. Uh, so there's a lot more to come. You can find me uh, writing at dunewsnet.com and on Twitter at dunewsnet and Instagram. So uh, yeah, thanks everybody and talk to you next time. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to dunenewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.